when you're looking at infrastructure, you're looking, you need to look at all lenses. Um, when you have a plan, you need to look at the funding infrastructure, the people management infrastructure, the uh, supplies and material infrastructure, the technology infrastructure, even on the external, your partnership and your community buy-in infrastructure. And what does that look like? All of those kind of tie in. You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast, brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier, so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now... Here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hey, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform 100% free to nonprofits, and PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. As host, my job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live event hosted on Yachtme. Find out more at y.yacht.me. That's W-H-Y dot Y-O-T dot M-E. Join me on these live events every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Register at yacht.me or nonprofitproblemsolver.com. You can find me, Kev Kyatt, at kevkayat.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Join the Nonprofit Problem Solver Club on Clubhouse and the Nonprofit Problem Solver Facebook group to get all the latest practical, tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. Check out my coaching programs at nonprofitentrepreneur.com. If you've ever heard the phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast, then you may be familiar with today's topic. I'm talking to consultant Nasiba Dorley about strategic planning and ways we've seen nonprofits do it right or better, but also how they can get it spectacularly wrong and end up undermining their own financial survival. As we come out of lockdowns, we can't just go back to the old normal. So how should we approach nonprofit strategy in a COVID and post-COVID world? Okay, welcome everyone. This is episode 31 of the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast. Our question today is how does nonprofit strategy undermine financial security? Uh, and to, with us to speak about that very topic is Vasita Dorley. How are you? I am great, Kev. Thank you so much for having me today. No, I'm excited for this conversation. I've been I've been looking yeah. for it since we forward to it since we set the title. So let me just uh explain to folks uh, how this how this happens. We're recording live on the Yachtme virtual events platform. Uh, they're a proud sponsor of the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast, as is PodPro Audio, which is uh, a the producer which makes uh, professional podcasting easy. Uh, and we are raising money for whom today, Masita? Well, we are raising money for Turning Point 180 um, for an organization I have been volunteering with um, proudly 
located in North Carolina for the past six years. Um, it was started by a, a senior pastor within Guilford County, North Carolina, to help with homeless prevention, Dr. Kevin A. Williamson. Um, I am a proud volunteer of that organization in helping families and individuals uh, go from homelessness to housing. That's great. So we're trying to leverage uh, the uh, virtues of a uh, virtual uh, uh, event platform, uh, which is free to nonprofits. Uh, and so what we're doing with, uh, uh, as Yatmi is hosting the, the, the podcast, is giving guests an opportunity to nominate uh, nonprofits for whom we can raise uh, money while we're actually recording the podcast. Uh, so if you're, if you're watching this later, uh, you can come and you can see the link in the chat. Uh, we haven't got uh, Turning Point set up in Yatmi, and that may change in between the time we're recording this and the time you come and see that. But there will be a link uh, one way or another for you to make a donation to Turning Point 180, which is a homelessness prevention charity in North Carolina. Uh, the other virtue of being on this platform is like all good events, there's a main event, which is now, which is what we're doing. And then afterwards, we go into... Uh, mingle mode, which is where we're, we, Mesita uh, and I will circulate to uh, with any guests who are happy to hang around and talk to us one to one once the podcast is complete. Uh, so, um, if you are interested in looking at a virtual events platform for uh, your nonprofit, remember that it is one hundred percent free uh, and uh, lots of new features coming on stream all the time. So let's turn to the topic at hand. Tell us first, though, Masita, a little bit about your consulting business and your background and what your experience is in nonprofits. Sure. You know, I have been in this world for so long. <laughs> it seems like I was born in this world for the past 20 plus years. Um, I have been working within non the nonprofit um, industry, specifically within the health and human services area. Um, you know, starting out uh, at entry level, providing social work and case management to families and households in regards to housing and economic stability to now all the way what I do um, within my company called MDM Global Consulting and in, in providing a full comprehensive um, nonprofit service from filing to um, program design to fund development strategy, um, just the works in ensuring that um, nonprofits are equipped, they have um, essential uh, capacity and resources, and a full, clear, and concise plan for um, the achievement of their mission and their success. Um, and I've been doing this, I started part-time in 2013 and entered full-time into it in 2019 in, um, in working with nonprofits from uh, not just within the U.S., but also overseas as well. So um, along with that, um, and ensuring that they are just equipped because they are the heart of each and every community, they are the front line um, and front stage uh, support within the community that helps undergird and and takes care of our families and i just you know as someone who worked within a nonprofit, my my mission and my purpose is to make sure that everyone is um every nonprofit is equipped with resources because that's the best way that you'll be able to reach your mission uh that that's great thanks for that uh, comprehensive overview mm -hmm. do you specialize 
in uh, health and human service nonprofits or do you work uh, across the board? I do work across the board. However, I do give priority to, I call it a seven tier level of those that are uh, achieving um, in these focus areas of ending poverty, which is hunger and homelessness, education, um, uh, healthcare, uh, both medical and mental health, um, mm -hmm. employment and income-based uh, nonprofits. Um, yeah, so those, those are priority, but I also work with civic organizations, community governments, um, you know, um, who have mission-driven social enterprises that they want to roll out within their area. And, and do you, you, you said you work abroad. What, what other countries besides the U.S. have you worked in? Sure. I have worked um, with a social enterprise um, in um, Tanzania, Arusha, Tanzania, as well as, I cannot pronounce it, Burundi. Um, and of yeah. course, I'm actually from Liberia. So um, we are doing some startup. Uh, this is an exclusive startup stuff um, within the country of where I was born and lived for eight years. And with a focus of community and housing development. So those are the three areas. And I also did pro bono work through um, um, London uh, with Bridges for Enterprises for some a few nonprofit organizations. Right, over in the UK where I am. Well, yeah. that's great. So we, we have a lot of uh, very sort of similar uh, experience in mm -hmm. particularly in uh, the community health and human services uh, uh, background. So confirm for me then where people can find you online. Uh, I know you mentioned a, a website. So if you could yeah. tell us that address and then that what sort of social media platforms you, you like to use and spend time on. Absolutely. Well, we definitely have a very robust website um, that um, lists our services um, as well as our annual conference we have every year and our MDM nonprofit uh, academy. And everyone may find that at www.mdmglobalconsulting.com. We are on uh, the social media platforms of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, under the same name of MDM Global Consulting. And then I also have a personal platform on linking, LinkedIn that promotes the uh, nonprofit consulting company um, that you, know, you can be directed to as well. Okay, so easy to find you then. Easy to find. <laughs> That's what we like. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's, let's dig into this topic. When you and I spoke uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was a few weeks ago, it could have been longer than that, uh, <laughs> trying to narrow down what we could talk about for about 40 what? minutes. And it was a challenge, wasn't it? We, were like, well, mm -hmm. we could go in so many different directions. And just listening to you uh, talk about your background, I, I could have jumped in at any point and go, wow, you know, all this about housing and education and poverty and employment and, and, and so on. And, and obviously health and, and mental health are all things dear to my heart. However, we decided uh, that you had a particular issue around uh, nonprofit culture, no, the, strat the culture around nonprofit strategy and strategic mm -hmm. planning and have observed situations where that culture can actually undermine rather than support mm -hmm. an organization's financial security. And uh, it really piqued my uh, interest. And I thought it's a fascinating angle on, uh, on strategic planning, uh, which I think uh, everyone has had to make some adjustments to in the, in the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. uh, but can you sort of give us a, a, 
a, an entry point, a way into this conversation around strategic planning and the culture of nonprofit strategy and how you see it before we get into uh, the relationship to financial security? Sure. You know, um, starting um, when I started in nonprofit, um, strategic planning was sitting around the table and everyone just throwing ideas and you capturing it in the meeting minutes. And then there you go. That's your plan. <laughs> and, um, you certainly know, seen and, a few like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and, um, and whoever grabs, grabs a hold of to it, uh, for execution, right. Then it slowly evolved a little bit to, um, to this, uh, uh I would call it mammoth of where, of nonprofits hire outside consultants they come in they do a retreat with the board they may do a team retreat with the management staff and executive team could be a half a day all the way up to a three-day uh, retreat they develop this wide comprehensive plan um, just with all of these different segmentations of tasks and deliverables and due dates and deadlines and then after and and everyone's posted notes and post the post-it notes, notes post you know, notes. lots of post-it notes, pens. all that thing, you know, and all of these discussions and everyone's feeling energized and great. And then it sits on the shelf <laughs> and it's not executed be and because of the fact um, that what a lot of nonprofits um, do is uh, they overtask their staff and they developed a strategic plan, but they still have the same staff that have other roles and responsibility and can't project manage to move it through. And sometimes it sits on the shelf or it's not, um, it's not really excellent. Uh, it's poorly executed that they do not eventually reach their goal. For one example, um, I will um, use is here in the U.S., the federal government, they uh, task any nonprofit receiving federal funds to say, you have to develop a 10-year plan to end homelessness. If you are receiving federal funds, you have to do that. So everyone was hired to, you know, to try to develop these uh, plans, these big old elaborate 100-page plans for these nonprofits and these communities, uh, organizations. And... These 10 years plans have come and went and where we, we are still at the point where it's an issue because of the fact that although the plan is, was developed, the, the other side of it, there was not an infrastructure set up in place for someone to project manage and pu push that plan, move that needle along, provide the uh, quarterly evaluation, step in and ensuring that tasks are being met, benchmarks are being met, everyone is being kept up to date as to where the progress is. And that's kind of the misalignment um, when those things happen and, and become disjointed. <laughs> so so it's, it's worse than, or it's not as simple as uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah. You, can, you can plan and fail anyway mm -hmm. because you're planning. Uh, it, it sort of it sounds in the way you've described it uh, either misaligned or inappropriate or um, uh, unbalanced with regard to the resources of an organization to execute on the plan. Uh, the way you described in, in the first case, the, they've got the same staff who've got their 
their day jobs, it sounds like the strategic plan was entirely additive, mm -hmm. all, all new stuff, but mm -hmm. not distinguish, not jettisoning, jettisoning any of the old stuff, mm -hmm. which makes it impossible. Uh, so these are, these are, I think, uh, very familiar, uh, issues with, with strategic planning. Have you, mm -hmm. have you found that the, the pressures of COVID, uh, and other, uh, demands over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, uh, have altered strategic planning or the way organizations are looking at strategic planning? Well, that's why we, that's such a great question. And I would hope that you, myself, and other consultants, when they pose this question, would be able to say yes, hopefully so, because of the fact that, and what would have happened if a lot of strategic plan would have had something, I mean, not specifically terming it pandemic plan, alternative plan, but, right. an, you know, but something to this magnitude of if something shuts down, what do we do for working remotely? What would have happened if a lot of nonprofits had those type of plans already developed? And when we went in, in on March the tw uh, in 2020, they would have been able to pull it out and just dust up their sleeve and full out going for execution. And so I hope that now that we're, we have been in this uh, cycle for over a year, a little bit over a year, that that answer is yes, you know, that it has triggered something um, deeply within all management or executive staff to say, we have to um, do things differently. And when we plan, we just, we plan with um, a full lens. We plan for where we are now, where we are headed. And perhaps we plan if there is an alternative disaster recovery or something like that, we have that also within our plans as well. And, um, and we have an infrastructure to execute, execute, execute. <laughs> not yeah, plan. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, strategic <laughs> plan is not just a checklist, right? You just check it off your to-do list and, okay, we've got it. Here you have it, board of directors. Here you have it, management task, uh, staff, and that's it. It's it's you're yeah. you're doing it for execution. You're intentional about it. Yes, that yeah. I think the uh, the execution, the you know, it's the it's the, the proof of the plan is in its execution. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think what what I've seen is very very few uh, nonprofits in the last twelve months had anything resembling an emergency preparedness plan. I, I mean, I just don't think it was, it's, it's commonplace in, in our sector and that's, mm -mm. that goes to foundations and grant makers as well. Um, having said that, a lot of people try to uh, fill the, the void with business Ooh. continuity planning and have, and have shortened their planning horizon so that some, I, I hear some people saying that strategic planning will be entirely different. But yet, I know that there's a large number of organizations and boards that have been sort of waiting things, waiting this out mm -hmm. to see when it can return to normal uh, or even a next normal. That's not actually too different from the old normal, mm -hmm. which means we can dust off the plans we had uh, in 2019 and early 2020 and, and refresh them somehow for, for 2022 and, and then carry on as before. Um, yeah. But that's a that's a dangerous thought, really. It is a dangerous thought. You know, I was watching the news um, and I saw a baseball game 
I think it was in Texas, the Houston Astros. Um, and they just went ahead and did it and had 40,000 people in a stadium for the for the opener of their baseball game. Because to your point, they're ready to get back to their next normal. The challenge is we don't know what that is yet. You know, we don't know. We are kind of like in this, you know, there's a toy, this teeter-totter that is on the playground. You know, mm. just when we think we're doing okay, we get news of, oh, there's another variant strain. And, you know, so we, as nonprofits, you don't know. You, then that means how do we still engage with our clients? How do we, do we still continue to fundraise virtually? You know, how do we meet with our key stakeholders for community buy-in? All of those nuances that when we are gathered at the table with key staff and board members to be able to have a strategy, the, the fact of the unknown, which is still kind of hovering above us, um, kind of puts us in this place of a, a pause place because you want to strategize, but you just don't know to what extent. So would it be helpful if so, if you have a two-part plan? Sometimes people have, you know, a plan A and they have a plan B. We've yeah. always just focused on, we're just always plan A and, oh no, there's never plan B or even a plan C, you know? Yeah. Um, there's never, we don't, we don't go uh, do a deep dive as nonprofits into those lenses, you know? And I think that's why the culture shift has to change. Yeah. And, and I think that's exactly right. I, I've seen a few organizations. Uh, in fact, one organization I know had a, has a 10 year strategic plan that includes business continuity and what you might consider uh, emergency preparedness. And uh, I know that executive director told me not too long ago that the, that there have sort of shifted the balance mm -hmm. from business continuity being part of the strategic plan to the strategic plan being part of the business continuity. Mm -hmm. And, and there, as I said, the horizon is now more like 12 months mm -hmm. rather than three to five years. And they're looking at scenario A, scenario B, <laughs> scenario C, yeah. because, and I think this is, this is sort of gets to the heart of what strategic planning is for yeah. your, that word you used uncertainty. To, is is there not a role for the strategic plan in managing mm -hmm. the future, in managing mm -hmm. the uncertainty? Isn't that part of why we do it? Mm -hmm. Or do we, you know, are there other reasons like we have to do a strategic plan because someone told us to or because uh, it's expected or yeah. uh, we have to grow and so we have to explain how we're going to do that? And yeah. the, I think there's a number of things that, that we're pulling out of here around strategic planning culture that actually don't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't. And I think you're exactly right in the fact that we, we have to change this culture, you know, because sometimes, um, just like a lot of nonprofits uh, in the, here in the U.S. with their staple uh, recurring programs, those program guidelines were based on uh, policies and procedures um, and a society that took place years ago. And so you don't want to make these long-term 10-year plans when society as we know it changes all the time. And so then now you're fostering and you're riding the wave on a plan that doesn't match the society and the community that you live in. And then when you're ex in your process of executing, when you finally try to or attempt to, you're wondering about the misalignment, you're wondering about the lack of your performance outcome, why you're not reaching your goals, 
you know, your technology structure is not in alignment with what you're trying to reach because based on what you're written, all of that, you know, it's just disjointed because you've looked 10 years, um, 10 years ago, strategic plan was good to create for 10 year, a five year, 10 year or three year. But because we are so technological events advanced, we're going to the moon for goodness sakes, you know, mm -hmm. as, as, you know, as regular people and, and, and things change so fast. You don't want to have something that's 10 years because something, um, our process within a year could change. And then now that 10 year plan is really kind of null and void and it's old. So I think kind of like with how within the business development culture and how they shifted from a full out, you know, 50 page business plan you had to have. Now they're doing lean business plans, you know, and if you mm -hmm. are heavily investing in financial um, for financing and everything like that, yeah, you will need a more in debt. But for your compass guy and your day-to-day -day delivery, you want something lean that can be amended, adjusted based on where you are within your organization and where you are within your immediate environment and what you're connected to. That's yeah. kind of, I think, the culture shift that needs to be, you know, started. I, th I think everyone is, is all for, uh, uh, you know, leaner, uh, tighter, <laughs> easier, just, just to consume it. Yeah. Just to understanding is one of the uh, one of the soft metrics or tests I used to run with strategic planning is the extent to which uh, the not just the senior staff but the their direct reports mm -hmm. could articulate the main components of the strategic plan in their mm -hmm. own words. Mm -hmm. And you know, and if, if if they couldn't, then they hadn't absorbed it. You know, yeah. they couldn't they couldn't really describe it, and therefore it wasn't a living document. And as you said, it was going to end up on the shelf. Yeah. Um, so I think the the the, the leaner is is al is always better, but it 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 does force us to think again what what strategic planning is actually for. Mm -hmm. What is it for? You know, um, when individuals act like, why do we need it? Why do we need time? Why do we need staff? Why do we need to pull away from what we're doing to focus on this? Because everyone needs a vision. Everyone needs a compass guide. You should have a reference point that you can always go back to when you're talking in terms of your programs, your staff design, your overall mission, you know, um, the culture of your organization, so that you can keep on the original path of the starting mission of why that nonprofit was established in the first place. You know, for the within my 20 years, I have watched great successes, but then I've also watched nonprofits sometimes when they get in trouble because they're chasing the dollars and they stray away from their mission and they mm -hmm. stray away from what their program is supposed to be and they stray away from their immediate deliverables because they're chasing the funding. And I've been I've actually been employed in organizations that went that route because of what was fund, you know, what funding was available and had to learn the hard way to let it go and go back to the originality concept of why that nonprofit was started in the, in the first place. And I think in those experiences, that's why I would strongly encourage that's why a strategic plan is so important because it helps keep you focused. It helps keep you balanced. If you have an infrastructure built within that somebody always has their eye and their pulse on it to 
um, inter inserted in your weekly meetings or your monthly managerial meetings or your monthly or, or bi-month uh, uh, quarterly board meetings. You know, that always is the anchor in keeping the organization, the board members, and the executive team on that straight path of this is the original intent of the nonprofit and we will not stray from it. That's why I think a strategic plan, whether a full or in lean, it's really um, a necessity with a proper infrastructure built in internally within the, non, uh, within the organization. Okay, let's talk about that. It sounds like we're, you're describing it really as, as a map. You can't, you can't go on this nonprofit journey without some idea of how you're going to reach your destination. Mm -hmm. and, and, and obviously what's, what's immediately in front of you is in greater detail than what's later mm -hmm. on. Uh, but you fill it in as you get there. Mm -hmm. uh, but what you're not going to do is go take these sharp left or right turns <laughs> simply because, you know, there's a theme park <laughs> yeah. posted on the, on the road that says turn yeah. left here. And, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or you, you know, see you, shiny or pretty colors. You're like, oh, let's go over there. No, yeah, let's, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an adventure enough just mm -hmm. staying on the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I think when we're talking about uh, infrastructure, I know you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times. So let's let's um, dig in there because I think this is where we're getting to your point about uh, how how some of these uh, cultural behaviors around strategic planning can undermine financial security. Uh, so mm -hmm. am, am I am I right that this is really around whether you have the the appropriate or adequate level of infrastructure to execute on the plan? Exactly. And when you're looking at infrastructure, you're looking, you need to look at all lenses. Um, when you have a plan, you need to look at the funding infrastructure, the people management infrastructure, the uh, supplies and material infrastructure, the technology infrastructure, even on the external, your partnership and your community buy-in infrastructure. And what does that look like? All of those kind of tie in and being able to have a fully, um, I would say, supportive net that you can utilize to really uh, execute your plan on the front end and for the longevity of however, um, you know, that designated duration, whether it's a one-year, 12 months, or a three-year plan. So you, you, I think if I could use some different language here, in a sense, uh, there's no good having a plan, however lean or or extensive or whatever far into the future, if if it just doesn't seem realistic. And it doesn't mean that you can't be ambitious. Of course, as, as nonprofits, we 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 are sort of by nature uh, and optimistic. Uh, but you have to have some. Um, you have to de-risk it in a way. You have to you have to know that 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 the approach will be well received at least eventually mm -hmm. <laughs> in your community that your staff can actually execute on, on those program developments that you, you'll be able to generate the funding required uh, you know, for, for, for what those plans are. Yeah, you, exactly. You're exactly right. You know, one of the um, strategies that I kind of like to integrate um, when you are facilitating uh, these uh, strategic planning sessions is to kind of incorporate how for-profits or large corporations, how they go about in mitigating their action items um, for their business and kind of um, 
take those best practice and integrate it within a nonprofit uh, operational process, right? So that your strategic plan becomes less of a, a, a wish list and more of a tangible action items that you can yeah. fully, that everybody at the table can fully buy into and they can fully see themselves in the space that they can execute and run with it. I think sometimes, you know, with the old nonprofit world get so focused on the, the heart and the qualitativeness of the, the story of a nonprofit that we kind of negate the actual factual points, the data, the impact, and the scaling of what we're trying to do and, and using that to drive our actions. We're so focused on the heart of the mission that we forget to focus on the quantitative part of the mission, which needs to be a driving force in our actions. And I think in, you know, the conversation is to merge those together and try and, and to in, um, help encourage other nonprofit leaders that this is also an important factor that um, you cannot eliminate from your process when you are going in this um, route. Yeah, you've got to uh, you've got to adopt uh, the sort of discipline mm-hmm. that that will uh, lead to results. Mm-hmm. I and mean, ultimately, uh, you know, I'm 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 with you here 100 <laughs> percent on uh, on the idea of uh, of nonprofits. Is you know, any just it's an organization that has to function and has to deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and actually, we're you know we're trying to do hard things, yeah. Uh, you know, through social impact, and so we mm-hmm. have to work that much harder and be that much more diligent, and 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 work against that uh, part of the culture. I think within nonprofits, but certainly surrounding nonprofits, in in some communities, in some circles, among some boards, is that oh, it's the nonprofit sector. It's sort of optional. It's sort of unrealistic. It's sort of touchy feely, and isn't it nice? Sort of thing. Um, and, and to me, it's always been exactly the opposite on the ground. I mean, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it's never felt like that when you're doing this work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so you do have to really work. be diligent. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's hard work. And so you yeah. need to have those, those sorts of, uh, those, those sorts of disciplines. Yeah. And, and to your point, you're exactly right in the fact of what you said, uh, regarding quantitative versus qualitative, um, reports and measurements corporations and funders have shifted now because before and you know I'm from Liberia and when I came to America I remember seeing on these TV commercials <laughs> you know where I'm going you know <laughs> these villages and they're showing these kids you know and feed the children by donating here and you know kind of tug at your heartstrings but they don't tell you where that money it, the percentage of the money that I'm giving to you, I need you to splice that out for me. <laughs> Where is it all going to? Right. You know, so that was then. Now, corporations, especially high-end corporations, Fortune 100 corporations, they want to see impact. No more is it just, um, you know, we all know that there are disparities. We all know that there's poverty. We all know that there's lack in communities all over the world. Now the organizations and these funders who can provide these big uh, partnership and financial contributions, um, if you're going for 500,000, if you're going for a million, you know, I was involved in a grant um, application for a hundred million dollars. And in order to do that, you had to show scale. There is no way a foundation will give you a hundred million dollars for a three-year project 
and you don't show scale, you don't show the impact, and you don't incorporate how they will also be a part of you know promoting their brand and providing an incentive for them to become a partnership. And I think um, you know within when nonprofits are developing these strategies and they're incorporating and they're uh, shifting and focusing on their fund development strategy, which is a part of their overall strategic plan, they have to be very intentional about incorporating corporate, you know, that Fortune 100 corporate processes and um, ensuring that there's longevity uh, within their fund, funding strategy. There's um, a diversity within their portfolio. There's an, um, you know, an investment within marketing to help show that their organization is, um, is impactful and um, is, ha- can make an impact. I'll give you an example. Locally here where I'm based, um, I don't know if you heard, uh, what's her, um, Mackenzie Bezos, just mm-hmm. Bezos, right. You know, so just for Christmas, she gave a lot of nonprofits a wonderful gift, right? Yeah. $6 billion of distribution of funding. And do you know, and I studied that process because I wanted to learn how did they do that? They did it solely by several methods. They went on their website. They pulled up their um, tax, their IRS statement, and they checked out. That was the first three phase. They checked out all of their social media platforms to see what were their impact and what were their scale that these nonprofits were um, um, doing within their region. And then out of that, then they reached out and said, okay, now we will contact. Um, this organization, you know, within North Carolina, within our community, we had three of those organizations that were a part of the, re- that was a recipient to be able to receive, you know, $5 million just from that wow. process and not even, um, and they didn't, I was, how did they, did they talk to y'all that they said, no, that's the first thing they just you know, they said they looked at our website, they looked at our tax statement, they looked at our uh, social media, and the biggest thing was we were showing externally impact and scale. That they could actually, they had their act together and they knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's funny that you say that because, uh, you know, this is a conversation I feel like I'm having with folks uh, all the time mm-hmm. about um, your programming is your business. Your programming mm-hmm. has to get results. That's, that's the point of your nonprofit. It's, you know, there, there really isn't any other <laughs> reason right. to exist, you know, yeah. and it's, uh, uh, it, 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 it amazes me. But one of the, the things I think what you're saying we're, we're going to run up against very quickly is this uh, time honored. Uh, it's not even a, really a debate, is it? That clearly the nonprofit sector wants a sufficient level of investment to run effective operations. You, mm-hmm. you can't constantly do short term annual funding on a shoestring and Mm-mm. expect to have the the staff commitment and the longevity of your programs to, to for them to to learn mm-hmm. how to be effective because they're never yeah. effective right out the gate. Yeah. And you're exactly right. And I think again the shifting of the culture of how we provide nonprofit general operation has to change. We have you know nonprofit executives have to have a corporate mindset. Uh, one of the biggest and best practice in um, corporation is a, is a little company here in Cary, North Carolina called SAS. And I think the CEO is 
worth four or five billion dollars. And his main thought is my first investment are my people. My second investment is my marketing. And then it's the products. And, you know, because if I take care of internal resources, then my people will take care of our clients and our customers. And I think nonprofits, sometimes they focus so much on the program mission, they forget to take care of their people. They forget to take care of their marketing and invest in their marketing internally so that they can have an external presence online and in their community that then they can re reach a broader range of individuals, corporations who may be looking for places to give, looking for corporate and social responsibilities, but because they have not invested in their marketing to put themselves in those people's presence, they're missing out on opportunity that's really out there. And that's why sometimes, you know, these nonprofit strategies are really, really, we've really got to start doing something differently because we are undermining your financial security if you don't change your strategy, if you don't get outside of your comfort zone, if you don't start, stop doing what was done in the 1960s because that's not the way of the world right now. We are a digital world. We are a virtual world. And that needs to be a part of a, a nonprofit investment and a part of the strategy and how to, um, if anything, COVID has taught us, how do we invest and how do we pivot and how do we change and how do we cover all angles? Well, how do we run nonprofits as, as businesses? I mean, as businesses. We don't take the money out and put it in our private hands. Mm -mm. But aside from that, they're, 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 they're businesses. Yeah. And, and I think there's a, to your point about uh, spending time on programs instead of people, we're sort of adopted that from, uh, from the, the sort of foundation and philanthropy approach, which is, you know, is maximum maximum proportion of money into programs mm -hmm. and, and, and not people and not, uh, not becoming experts and advocates for the communities that we serve, for example, because that's not, that's not you know, income generating or it doesn't have the, the same sort of impact. And, it, and the, the, the challenge there, I think, is, is to be to, to this idea of getting out of the box is there are a lot of nonprofits, dare I say, it, that have a, a sense of learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. they, do a, they do a strategic plan that bakes in this idea that they're going to go cap in hand to philanthropists and grant makers and, and ask for money in, in, a, in a, a, a power relationship that undermines mm -hmm. their role as the social impact makers in their right. community right. they're the ones who are doing the work right. um, but 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 often nonprofit leaders don't take that as a sign of strength they yeah. they, they they go to to funders cap with with sort of their cap in hand mentality or asking yeah yeah uh, which which is which is um makes it difficult to have the confidence that you're that that I think is necessary to execute a strategic plan in the way that you've described. Yeah, and you're exactly right in the fact of even with the nonprofit leaders, you know that they also have to shift in how they do things and being able to think outside the box um, because they need to be able to hone in on a specific area of focus, which is I believe your external public relations, building that relationship. And then internally cultivating your 
um, your management team, and then depending on the size of your organization, allowing your management team to reach the better part of your people, you know, because you, if your organization is 60 or 70 people, you're not going to tangibly be able to reach everybody on a monthly basis. So you need to cultivate, help develop those who are in your immediate circumference, your executive team, and then allow them to take your words, your mission, the mission of the nonprofit, and disseminate it to the other teams and divisions within your organization. I think, you know, that do it all mentality really oh. has to shift. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and just uh, we like there's just so many <laughs> just stop, you know, just really, right. you know, you don't have to do it all. There's even you can't. if you can't. You, you can't That's, do it all. And yeah. and and and, and I, I love what you're saying about the, the this this attention to people in management because even even if you're not sixty or seven, if you've got a staff of six or seven, even I mean, might people might say that's small or that could be even someone's aspiration to have mm -hmm. six or seven people. If you're doing it right, <laughs> you have still uh, a, an army of volunteers around those people. You've got board members. You've yeah. got uh, committees. You've got lots and lots of other people that mm -hmm. in if in a sense, are, are more difficult to manage mm -hmm. than an employee relationship. Right. Because it's it's informal, it's seen as a volunteer basis, it's unpaid, uh, and it's uh, less structured with regard to time. So yes. you don't have the same exposure to those people, but mm -hmm. yet you've got to extract the best out of them uh, in accordance with the impact you're trying to create. And it's a challenge that not many founders uh, really can appreciate until they're in the middle of it. Exactly. And you are so right. You know, when I was working in, I would give you one experience. It was a smaller nonprofit. I worked in large ones who control 15 counties, but this smaller one, which you would think would be a little bit more structured, you know, that's, I've learned what to do and I learned a lot of what not to do. And one of those things of chasing the dollars and not the mission, right? Mm -hmm. Another was not investing in your people because they, the leadership was so much invested in, oh, we're going to throw all the money into the programs, but your people needed the services that you were providing. So what do you think that does yeah. for the morale of your employees, yeah. Yeah. especially if you're demanding more work, you're wanting more hours? We you and but you're not providing the resources. You're not taking care of them. You're not investing in them. Then you're wondering why your program outcomes are not what they should be. Why isn't there a very kind of positive growth within your organization? And those are some of the things that, as nonprofit leaders, you just can't do. It doesn't make you less of a nonprofit. It doesn't make you less philanthropic. It doesn't make you less of a humanitarian if you invest in your people who are your front line and extended arms to do the work. Imagine if your brain, if your body, if we didn't eat, if we, if you ate and your brain and your body didn't digest all of the nutrients to your other limbs and your, what happens, right? When your body, when you drink and your body doesn't get the, the proper water that it needs, you, you get cramps and you, and it sometimes hurts to walk. So, you know, that's the same thing within the structure of a nonprofit yeah. organization, right? Yeah. If you yeah. don't, yeah, if you don't give it the proper things that it needs, 
it's going to get cramped and it's going to stop the process of longevity, sustainability, and success. So as, as, a, strat as a strategy for leadership within nonprofit, you, you have to stop trying to do it all. Focus on your area of what you need to focus on, your people management within your immediate team, your external relation and building bot community buy-in and your board liaison and allow and trust the genius and the talents and the skills of those who you call to the table and allow them the free reign to do what you're, you hire them to do. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. That's it seems like we, we could have a, a, a whole other discussion on uh, on, yeah. on, uh, on people. I think, I think, uh, I think that's uh, definitely a topic for, for another time. Um, <laughs> I want to say thank you to see, we've had a, a wonderful conversation about uh, nonprofit uh, strategic planning and the culture around it. And, and whether it actually helps or undermines what it is that uh, you do, that uh, um, you're trying to achieve, can you remind everyone um, who's watching or listening uh, where to find you online? Yes, uh, and uh, we'll wrap up the live portion of uh, of this episode. Absolutely. Again, um, you can find me online on our website www.mdmglobalconsulting.com as well as all social media platforms of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and my personal LinkedIn page of Masita Dorley, um, and which provides all of the information regarding my company, MDM Global Consulting, which is a full comprehensive nonprofit development firm. Well, uh, thank you so much for spending uh, today with me. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, if you... Uh, uh, if you can leave a review, that always makes uh, it easier for other nonprofits to benefit from the uh, information we're trying to share. Uh, and I'd like to thank uh, my sponsors, Yachtme, this virtual events platform, and PodPro Audio that makes uh, professional podcasting easy. And that will we'll draw to a close our, our live portion and uh, move into uh, the mingle mode virtues of this platform and, and speak to uh, those who want to stick around and, and have another word with us. Uh, we'll see you next Wednesday at 11 Eastern, uh, and uh, I'll be speaking to uh, Tamsin Astor, PhD, about good habits and bad habits. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guest today was Masita Dorley, who you can find at mdmglobalconsulting.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn under MDM Global Consulting. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results.